very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, and tonight you'd be glad that you did, just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. Tonight is a great night to give yourself the gift of truth. And if you want to contact me or you wish to be a guest on this radio program, just go to VeritasRadio.com and click on the contact button. Well, since tonight we're discussing how the masses are truly awakening, perhaps slower than we should, but we are seeing it in many aspects of life. I thought of sharing a testimonial from someone who awakened to the reality of pure organic sulfur, and I thought you'd enjoy it. This testimonial comes from John C. from Seattle, Washington, and he says, Hello, Mel. I've taken about five pounds of your sulfur in the past two and a half months, and I can say without a doubt it works better than any treatment I've ever tried. I've experienced high levels of chronic pain for the past 15 years from a construction accident at work, prior sports injuries, and car accidents. During this time, pain began to refer to the other regions of my body, spreading to areas far from the original site of injury and greatly lessening my quality of life. The chronic pain, lack of function, and decreased quality of life I've experienced have provided me the insight to better understand the many people I've met living with a variety of disease. This compels me to help people find solutions that are most effective for the individual maladies. I've seen yourself provide this solution to many people around me as well as experienced it firsthand. In the first 24 hours of taking your product, I felt my thoracic spine quote-unquote unlock and breathing instantly became deeper. Over the next two months, the pain that had accumulated in the subsequent 15 years began to quickly dissolve. The numbness in my right temporomandibular joint is gone, and I can feel the right side of my head and face again. I have more flexibility, mobility, and far less pain in every joint of my body. My sternoclavicular and sacroiliac joints, the original sites of injury, are much more stable. The brain fog is gone. I think much more clearly now, and my energy levels have increased dramatically. My wife has commented that I usually couldn't sleep any less than eight hours a night without becoming ornery. Recently, she's observed me consistently getting six to seven hours of sleep per night, and that degree of sleep deprivation has had no effect on my mood. 
I actually wake up on my own accord and feel refreshed for the first time in many years. Thank you for making this amazing product available to so many people. John C. from Seattle, Washington. So, to anyone listening who has a success story with pure organic sulfur, please write to me. It makes me very happy to hear that it's making a difference in your life. And if you haven't tried it, just go to any of our websites or gatsulfur.com and get it right there. We ship around the world. And if you're trying to reach or exceed your full potential, listen to Sanitas as well. Go to sanitasradio.com and subscribe over there too. You may remember how three years ago, the interview we conducted with tonight's guest had to be re-recorded a month after the first one because his voice was completely removed from our recording equipment. By popular demand, after three years, Jay Whitener is back with an interview so full of material, the synopsis we usually include on our website will probably look like a 10-page memo. For the latest on everything you want to know, but we'll never find out on the 6 o'clock news, Jay Whitener is coming up right now on Veritas. Called by Wire Magazine, an authority on the hermetic and alchemical traditions, and erudite conspiracy hunter, Jay Whitener is a renowned author, filmmaker, and hermetic scholar. Considered to be a modern-day Indiana Jones for his ongoing worldwide quest to find clues to mankind's spiritual destiny via ancient societies and artifacts, his body of work offers great insights into the circumstances that have led to the current global crisis. He is the director of the powerful and insightful documentaries Kubrick's Odyssey, Infinity, The Ultimate Trip, and the forthcoming feature film Shasta. He is also the producer of the popular documentary film 2012, The Odyssey and its sequel, Time Wave 2013. Jay was featured in the History Channel's documentary The Lost Book of Nostradamus, an associate producer and featured in the History Channel's special Nostradamus 2012, and also in Brad Malzert's Decoded. He also participated in Jesse Ventura's Conspiracy Theory for True TV. In addition, he's the co-author of The Mysteries of the Great Cross of Hende, Alchemy and the End of Time, and Monument to the End of Time, as well as contributing writer for the book the mystery of 2012. And directly from beautiful Colorado, I'd like to welcome, after three years, Jay Whitener, back to Veritas. Hello, Jay, and welcome back. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Mel. How are you? Excellent, and I can't believe it's been three years, but you know, after that last interview we did, where the audio got, just got completely deleted and we had to re-record a month later, and I'm hoping that things will go well now. I have uh, different recorders at the same time, a lot of redundancy here so that uh, we have a great show. At any rate, Jay, a lot of stuff happening these days, but I wanted to ask you because I know you're good friends with uh, Jeff Rents. I know Jeff, I believe he got into a a car accident lately. Can you tell us what his uh, status is? Well, um, yeah, I just talked to Jeff last night. Um, I was really worried about him because he'd, we have a kind of a pact between us that if we don't hear, if if I communicate with him or he communicates with me and we don't hear back within 24 hours, that we need to push the emergency button. And um, I was about to push the emergency button because I called him and I had written and emailed him and I wasn't getting any response and I was almost ready to get on a plane and fly to Oregon 
And um, finally, last night, uh, I got a call from him right before he went on the air. He'd been in the hospital again the second time around from his horrific car accident. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's not a young man and got a broken wrist and bruised ribs and a cracked skull and um, it's going to take him a long time to recover. And, uh, you know, if you believe in a, in a creator, you might want to impartune to him to help Jeff because Jeff needs all the help he can get right now. Well, that's good that he called you. So hopefully uh, uh, Godspeed uh, to Jeff Francis. He's a, a good uh, truth warrior here. He is. Well, you know, it's it's interesting how a lot of this happens, especially when when a lot lately, you know, people are questioning what they're seeing, the Baltimore Baltimore uh, riots. Let me just read this. Somebody sent me this this morning, and I want to start with a heartball, not a question, but just want to get your take on this. Walmart's closing on the border, ammunition shipments, jade helm, FEMA coffins, ammo buyer, billions of hollow points. It's all falling into place. They never planned to, quote unquote, enslave us or put us into indefinite martial law. They spent heaps of money we don't have. Now they're spending even more to assure our, quote unquote, safety in the coming war. Spend all that monopoly money as quickly as possible on hard assets. So when the reset happens, you're set. A reset is coming and everyone knows it. This leaves us vulnerable while we deal with our own people, riots, looting, killing, etc. They've been training so that when this final world war happens, they can keep their pieces in place. Your thoughts on Jade Helm and all of this, Jay? Well, I mean, you know, events are, are culminating here, and uh, it's kind of unnerving to watch it because uh, <laughs> here's what's happened. is um, The Mayan calendar said there was going to be this great awakening that was going to happen in December 2012. I think a lot of people are, you know, very disappointed because it didn't seem to happen. Well, my argument is it did happen. It didn't happen on a widespread level. But what happened was that a week before December 21st, 2012, an event occurred here in the United States uh, called SICK. And and from the get-go, people who are perceptive knew that there was something terribly wrong with Sandy Hook. And, you know... I went through my own iterations. I, I, I first I insisted that we shouldn't um, entertain outrageous conspiracy theories, to uh, quote George W., um, and that people really died. As I investigated and as I watched the cover-up of Sandy Hook go on, I began to realize that the the, the people that I thought were really serious whack jobs, saying that it was all a fake and that they were using actors and that nobody died. I slowly evolved to that position, a very painful evolving. I did get to that position. And then what happened was, is I, it wasn't just me. It was a lot of people had to evolve to that position. Um, <clears throat> we began right on the heels of Sandy Hook. Then came the Boston bombing in April. And that was like the craw for everything. Because once we deciphered what really happened the Boston bombings, and I think it was a real mistake for whoever did this to put two events that close together. Uh, it's a mistake that they're going to pay for eventually. Um, the other, I guess you call them the conspiracy community, um, reached the unnerving conclusion 
that not only were these events fabrications, but there may be a lot more events going on that are completely fabricated both presently and in the past. And so, you know, people started going backwards in time and looking at other events and seeing if they had the trademarks that Sandy Hook and the Boston bombing had. And lo and behold, yes, they did. Several events in the past that we think are rock-hard uh, reality are, in fact, not. They didn't happen. They just told us that it happened. And um, and so we're almost drifting into a kind of a theatrical reality here. Um, the powers that be are using events, theatrical events, like the Boston bombing, to establish a precedent within the trial. So um, Joker... Uh, the 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 kid that um, helped his brother with the uh, Boston bombings, uh, his name is pronounced Joker, by the way, um, and everybody's pronouncing it wrong. They're pronouncing it Tzokar or whatever. But it's Sar Sarnitz. It, it it directly translates as Joker. Interesting. The Taz, yeah, and um, uh, and so. And so what's happening here is uh, Joker goes to court and um, Turney announces in her first sentence that he's guilty of sin and that he did it. I mean, it has to be the worst attorney I've ever seen because there's a plethora of evidence that the guy didn't do it, photographic and video evidence that he didn't do it. What's interesting about it also, well, first I want to get to the precedence. So a, a precedence is established here in court. Now, it's a kangaroo court. It's a theatrical court. But the precedents are still being established. That is end game for all of this, to, cre to create a plethora of law that bind us through the theater. And, um, and and they're continuing to do it. I, 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 uh, the, the shooting of Walter Scott in South Carolina, I mean, I'm not alone in thinking that that is not a real shooting. Even Dick Gregory has come out and said that there's serious problems in that uh, killing. And, um, uh, you know, the, 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 he, he fires eight shots into the back of the running away uh, young uh, uh, African-American, and um, there's no coil on the gun. He's not he doesn't go into police stance like you're supposed to doing a shooting. There's certain rules that police have to follow. He's just shooting like he's a crazy cowboy. Um there's no recoil on the gun. There's no smoke from the gun and there's no blood on the victim even though he was shot 8 times. And I got real problems with that. And so then then the question I'm sure many of your listeners okay, so what's what's the point of all this? Why are they doing it? And, and the point of it is is to cause cognitive dissonance, uh, to make you confused, to make you not understand what's going on around you, um, to keep you in the dark like a mushroom. And, um, and, 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 and we've got to... I don't think they ever gambled on cell phone cameras and the Internet and our own innate intelligence. And so now... Almost a game has started where they do an event and then a hundred thousand researchers 
on the event immediately, all comparing notes, all talking to each other over the Internet, all perfecting their point of view as time goes on. And um, I think that that is what's leading up to all the things that we're going through now. They realize that if they don't, um, if they keep going like they're going on, we're going to become fully awakened, and then we're going to demand some kind of revolution. Um, so what they're doing is they know that this is, is coming. We're going to become fully awakened, at least our part of the world. Maybe I'm not waiting for a six-pack to wake up. He's never going to wake up, uh, or I like to call him Boobus Americanus. And, um, <laughs> Bubba. Uh, and, um, and so it's just a small number, but we're the leaders in this thing, and that's what they, they've got to really worry about. And so I think they've stepped up the game. I think Jade Helm, the Walmart, Sam Walton was in Army Intelligence. Sam Walton, the guy who started Walmart, he ran, are you ready, the Japan internment camps. Huh. Yeah, his wow. deep connection to the in intelligence world. And uh, and so this idea that Walmarts would be used as internment places is, is completely consistent with the history of Sam Walton. And don't forget, he's from Arkansas, where Bill and Hillary are from. And uh, so I, I I believe all this stuff. I don't know if Jay Helm a a, 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 a a pointed stick that they're put, poking at us to find out how we're going to react. Suspect it is, um, but um, uh, parts of Texas pulling out of Jade Helm. Colorado has pulled out of Jade Helm. The governor of Texas has signed the National Guard to watch what they're doing with Jade Helm. Uh, this is unprecedented um, awareness that uh, you know five years ago would never have happened. We would have been laughed at saying that Jade Helm was some nefarious enterprise that needed to be watched. Now we've got the governor of Texas watching it. Um, and that that's significant. You know, there's a lot of significant things going on right now that have to have the um, powers that be very, very worried. Um, Chupatli has now stopped using GMOs. Um, that's huge. For a chain that big to, to, to say no to GMOs is gigantic, and that's got to freak them out. And so uh, at every level of their attack on us, we successfully, maybe not quickly, but slowly, successfully beginning to counter them in our, in our arguments and in our intellectual discussions in shows like this, and that is freaking them out. And um, they have decided to hit the pedal to the metal to get this thing rocking and rolling faster than ever. And um, I think they're even surprised by our reactions to that. Uh, that we're, you know, every tap France. All this stuff appears to be coordinated. And, um, but again, the attack on Jeff Rance didn't work. He's still on the air. He's publishing a site. Um, uh, so, you know, it's, it's very, very amazing to watch what's going on. And I want to call, you know, your listeners' attention to a researcher that I think is really going to become one of the top researchers over the next year or two, certainly uh, promoting his work as much as I can. So you need to go to milesmathis.com. It's M-I-L-E-S-M-A-T-H-I-S. 
Miles is a um, an artist and a philosopher and a scientist, and he's decided, once he saw that Sandy Hook was a fraud, he decided looking at events in the past to see if they were fraudulent also. And so he's gone back and he read his articles, and he's determined that the Charlie Man uh, events were all theatrical, um, that, and I believe him, and uh, the Patty Hearst kidnapping was all theatrical, uh, um, on and on. Bomber was fake, uh, it, it, and he's got really good evidence for all this. So I think that really has to scare him because we're, we're beginning to figure out things that were unthinkable just a few years ago. It's interesting you're saying this because I know for a fact, at least for my part, I think, and for my listeners, that even though we may not verbalize the fact that we believe there's an awakening taking place, it's happening. We just don't know how to verbalize it, but it's happening. The GMO part and and, and all these false flags that are taking place, we, we know that they are staged events. We see they don't even make it a secret that they're casting for actors these days. But what about the, since you're talking about the Boston quote-unquote bombing, what about the video where the older Chechen brother is shown naked and handcuffed, being escorted into a police car, and shortly after he was shown dead and pretty much massacred? Yep. And also their friend that was being interviewed by the FBI in Florida. And two hours into the interview, he shot, they shot him. Uh, you know, and so what they're doing, of course, is they're, they're batting cleanup. And we don't even know if that kid that's on trial, Joker, he's really even the right guy. His friends say that that doesn't look like him. So he may have died. And they just got some lookalike to get up there. Uh, it's it, The whole thing is bizarre because he's got hair, really long hair, and they just don't let you have hair in prison. That's right. Um, yeah, so it's like, what, what's going on here? Like, you can't have beards in prison, yet Charlie Manson has a beard every time they trot him out. He's got a beard. The reason they don't let you have beards is because you can hide stuff in them, by the way, um, under, under the chin especially. And uh, so these things are all problematic, and the Internet has connected us so well together that we can run off and check on anything now. And, you know, it's almost like the Three Stooges. These guys are they're, they're really not as good as they think they are. Then they're, they're, um, view of what we are is, you know, they, they think we're just idiots and uh, they dismiss everything we're saying. I think that our voices are growing and they're growing so loud, so quickly that they're getting extremely unnerved. And they're, you, you know, I had a, a dog corn my basement one time, a stray dog. And uh, I found out then why people say you never want to corner a dog because it is a very, very vicious thing to have a dog cornered and a very difficult thing to, to find out how to get that dog out of that corner without killing you. And, um, <clears throat> and I do believe that's what we have here. We have a cornered dog and he's vicious and the saliva coming out of his mouth and he's going to snap at us and he's going to try to kill us. And I think, you know, um, Hastings murder and uh, attempted murder on Jeff Rents and uh, Breitbart dropping dead in his front yard. Uh, I think all of these are hits. 
And I think there's a, a hit squad running around the country. Um, I don't know what for. I don't know what their goals are. Uh, but uh, I do believe that's what's going on. And, and they're, they're desperate. They're seriously desperate. And this stuff is now leaking in to the mainstream, which is what they really don't want. And I would bet my bottom dollar that there's going to be a feature film coming out, which is going to uh, touch on the uh, falseness of our reality. And in some ways, this movie, The Imitation Game, kind of did that, but not all the way. So I'm sure that the zeitgeist of uh, culture is going to create something because I think the um, the growth of the knowledge that these events fabric fabricated is astonishing how fast it's across the um, body politic. And uh, I would have never thought, you know, here it is, we're coming up on, what, two and a half years since Sandy Hook, and uh, it has spread, and almost nobody that I know believes that Sandy Hook took place. You can almost judge somebody's perception by whether they think it actually happened or not. And a lot of people just keep silent because they don't want to look like conspiracy theorists. But in silence, they do their own research. And I've done my research uh, you know, about this. Let me ask you this. Property, Sandy Hook, property taxes and purchase, pri purchase price of a home. You know, this is public information and anyone can access this information in any county. And I found out, you may know this, that many of the homes surrounding the Sandy Hook's quote-unquote school were purchased at one dollar. Did you hear that too? Oh yeah, zero dollars. Nancy Lanza's house was zero dollars. Huh. Yeah, and um, knows you know what I think actually is going on is, with uh, this is that Newton is um, a CIA town. I think the whole town is, and maybe not everybody, because I actually have seen sincere witnesses. Uh, you know, they, they were fooled, but they were sincere. And uh, so a lot of the town is just Sandy Hook is, is, is probably CIA. And um, uh, once you understand that, you get the rest of it. So it's a, kind of an amazing thing. And, and this wake up is, wow, I just don't even know where it's going to go. It's, it's, like, okay, we're this wake now. Where are we going to be in two years? And I'm sure the powers of be are thinking that too. Like, uh, what's going to happen here? And, and even um, even Dave Ike, who you know isn't part of the, oh the whole thing's fabricated uh, uh, group, even he uh, looked at the videos of Charlie Hebdo and, and really began questioning whether that was a real event, which I don't think it was. And uh, so even people like David Icke are now starting to get on board. And um, it may go mainstream is what I'm thinking. But here in the United States, it seems that the common denominator of uh, a lot of this is, number one, of course, to, to vilify the Muslims, and number two, to disarm the population. Do you, you think that they're really exacerbating this by, by all these false flags where a lot of the people, a lot of the, I guess in this case, the left wants us to just give our, 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 our arms and just say, that's it. We don't want any more weapons around us. Or do you think that there's some sensible people out there that finally will say, 
the United States is the last bastion, bastion of freedom still left. And you cannot just give your weapons. Well, I certainly hope that. Um, I'm not giving up mine. And um, uh, I don't think anybody should. Uh, it didn't work. Uh, I might point out Sandy Hook did not work. Um, they thought it was going to work, but it didn't. And so now what Obama's thinking about putting an executive order, which is just BS. The guy's a friggin' dictator. I don't care what anybody says. And I don't think he's going to run. I think he's going to run for a third term. I don't think he can risk letting this thing that he's done be reversed. And if we don't reverse it, we are going to be in a left dictatorship, fascist dictatorship very soon. Well, the Tucson uh, shooting. The Tucson shooting, too. You probably. I, I, w I was driving to pick up my wife and my daughter who were having breakfast in front of that Walgreens where the event occurred. So it did occur. However, how it's presented by the media is another thing. I think the reason why that occurred was because they needed to kill Judge Rule, the judge that was killed. And I don't know if you ever read the, the postmortem, uh, the, the, um, uh, when I'm trying, the pathology, the, the pathology, uh, report, it says cause of death, blunt force trauma to the head. And he was shot in the stomach. What's your take on that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, that, that whole thing is just one of the most bizarre of all the incidences. Because it does look like Giffords did get shot. Um, but it doesn't look like it is, it doesn't, it doesn't look like the event happened the way that they're telling us it happened. So I, I don't know. I, I do believe that that event is at least partially faked. Uh, and, and again, the guy that did it, he looks like he's ex-military. We have pictures of Gabby Giffords at the shooting range with her AF-15, um, with her husband, who's a uh, NASA astronaut, which is also a red flag for everybody. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's theater. Some, some of the theater has aspects of it that are real. 9-11 was half theater and real. Um, there's a lot of researchers that are going through the list of the 2,900 people that died and um, having a lot of finding the families of a lot of these people. And so it may be that only a few hundred died in 9-11. We just don't know. Um, the, the theatrical nature of everything is just, you know, very much, we're beginning to question everything. Um, you know, I, I'm beginning to question whether there were even planes involved, um, at all. I, I just, I have very many, very, a lot of problems with it. Uh, for one thing, I've been told by air pilots that you cannot fly 500 miles an hour, 200 yards from the surface of the earth. The no, air impossible. pressure is just too much. It would just blow the plane apart. It's like you water. You couldn't even do it. Yeah, you couldn't even do it. And then when it hits the building, the second plane hits the building, um, there's a little problem. And that there's two problems. One, and I've done this, uh, I've taken the, the, the clip and I've slowed it way down, and uh, it, there's no debris coming off that plane as it hits the building. There's nothing, no bolts, no little pieces, no glass. There's just literally nothing falling from the crash at all. And two, the if you measure the distance that the tail is moving from frame, 
you see that there's absolutely no resistance. That tail continues to move at the same distance at the same time, even though the front end is smashing into a building. That is impossible, too. And the third thing, which I think is the, the uh, uh, piece of resistance of the whole thing, is what people don't realize is that the back of an airplane going in the opposite direction is a wind that is moving as fast as the airplane. Uh, and it, this actually causes problems for airplanes that are following other airplanes because they get the wind and it can cause all sorts of problems. Uh, and so what should have happened when that plane entered into the building is all scrap should have been flying out that window because there's a 500-mile-an-hour wind inside that room. So there should have been file cabinets and phones and people and just flying out the window. All the windows should have broken, um, and yet it goes in like a, a, a Roadrunner cartoon. You know, the <laughs> wily e. Coyote yes. hits the rock and it or goes through a, a wall. A knife through butter, too. Yeah, and, it, and it's just like, really? You expect us to believe this? And, and another thing by the way, that um, as a filmmaker, I, I can see and want to relate this to your audience, is that when there's a, a real explosion, like an uh, oil refinery or something blows up, you get a lot of black smoke, you get a deep red explosion. And it's not very spectacular, honestly. But the explosions that are in the Boston bombing and the explosion of the plane when it hit the uh, the building, uh, they have a bright orange glow to them. And that was the first signal there's something wrong. Because when we make um, movie explosions, we use gunpowder, not very much, just enough to cause a minor explosion. But to make it look really good, we add a little bit of phosphorus to it. To give it that nice orangey glow has nothing to do with the explosion. It just looks good on film. And the white smoke is also an important indicator that there's something fake going on here. And so when I got home and watched the Boston bombing, I knew it was a fake from the minute I saw it. Because the bright orange explosion and the white smoke that was going up. And also, there was, wasn't loud enough. The problem with movie uh, bomb is, is that they're really what a movie bomb is is you take like a piece of um, say six inch uh, in diameter or six inch in yeah di uh, PVC and you seal up uh, say you have it it's two feet long and you seal up one end of it then you put your powder and your and your ignition device in the bottom and then just throw a bunch of styrofoam on top of it right little pieces of broken styrofoam. So that something is moving when the explosion happens. It just makes it look better. And you can see in the Boston bombing that's exactly what they did what they did. And they had a they had, you know, a really loud explosion. That sent everybody run wasn't part of the theater. That's what I would do if an explosion went off next to it would run. And as you probably would too. And as everyone would, anyone with any brains. But, you know, a lot of people didn't run. So why didn't they run? Well, because they're all part of the theater. And um, the cop, and they stop anybody from getting close. 
Uh, there's a uh, if you watch the explosion and then you watch the aftermath very carefully, you can see that someone's got a machine inside the crowd. Um, and there's all this smoke, and you can't see what's going on for the first minute or so, two minutes maybe, uh, because there's a smoke machine going on. And then finally the smoke clears. Why there's smoke, I can't figure it out. Is there nobody on fire? And but then the scene is all laid out. We've got your cherry red blood. We've, we've well, they, they, have, they, have, they have to put their makeups on, Jay. Yeah, That's why the smoke exactly. is there. The prosthetics. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and then there's the other problem. Um, uh, what people don't realize, and most people don't realize, is that blood only stays very red when it's exposed to oxygen for about 15 minutes. And then it starts turning brown. That's right. And that blood never turns brown. And again, that's a problem with movie blood. It doesn't turn brown. It's not real blood. And uh, it, I've dealt with movie blood my whole life, and that's movie blood. It's not even sprayed very good. And the upshot of the whole thing is, is that the guy that lost his two legs, Jeff Bauman, um, and then he made an appearance at the Boston Bruins uh, three weeks after he lost both legs. Anybody who's ever lost a leg, the melancholy that you get from losing a limb, it's huge. It's like years-long depression. Um, it's like losing a good friend. And to see Jeff Bauman with his full health, you know, in the wheelchair, waving at the crowd, smiling like he's a politician, uh-uh, that ain't going to happen. Just like you can't put Jeff Bauman in the wheelchair with a tourniquet on him and, 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 and push the wheelchair two blocks without one drop Falling. of blood. Yeah. It's impossible. But here's the upshot. Who's the only person on earth that claims that he saw the Taznarev brothers put that bag down uh, uh, onto the uh, ground? Jeff Bauman, the only witness. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, uh, Jay. And this is a question that not a lot of people dare to ask. And believe me, folks, I get grief all the time from emails. And I explained that I have nothing against the people that I'm going to talk about. Adam Lanza, Sandy Hook, James Holmes, Aurora, Colorado. And if we go back to 1996 and Columbine, uh, Dylan Klebold, uh, Jared Lee Loeffner, Tucson. What is the common denominator here? And Bauman, too. What is the common denominator here, Jay? They're all Jewish. Are you kidding me? They're all Jewish. Right. And the same thing is with that older, the elder, elderly man, It was interviewed again and again during Sandy Hook. What's the common denominator? He's Jewish. Oh, uh, right. So, exactly. So, you know, I hate... The Soto was, uh, the Soto was also Jewish. Yes. So yeah, I have absolutely nothing against Jews, but I question why all of this is, quote-unquote, perpetrated by Jews. What is it? What's going on? Are they trying to take over the United States, and the only way that's going to happen is if they disarm the United States? Is that why? Is this is this the end game? I think it is. Yeah, I do. I think it is. I think, well, I mean, you know, Jew, Jews are very theatrical people. My wife is Jewish, and, and they are. They're, uh, so what would they do? Of course they would do theater. Um, that's what they do. If you, uh, the vaudeville theater in the U.S. in the early 1920s and 30s, that was all Jewish. All, the, all that was Jewish. And so there's a kind of a... Um, 
a theatrical nature to now. I'm not saying all Jews. I'm just saying the Jews that are involved. Right. Um, yeah. And and it's, there, it may be. Uh, it may be that they, you know, they have. Um, say this. I, I I I like Jews. They're very smart people, but they have prejudice about people who live in between the coasts of this country. And I've heard them talk about the people who live in between the coasts. Of course, they don't live between the coasts. But they talk about the people who live, like in Colorado, uh, as if they're savage animals almost. And uh, even Bloomberg, Mayor Bloomberg, who spent $5 million of dollars of his own money in my state of Colorado to get gun control passed. Yep. Okay, he successfully got control passed. And then we rebelled and we started throwing out everybody that voted for it. And we did throw them out. And now we're reinstating the gun laws that were before Bloomberg. So Bloomberg just wasted all of his money. Really glad to hear, by the way. And then when he's in a press conference about six months ago, and they say, hey, you spent all this money to get gun control passed in Colorado, and now they're throwing out all the people in the legislature who supported you, and now they're repassing the laws that you had, uh, uh, you know, written on the books. They're taking them off the books. And, you know, Bloom, this, pickle, this is what Bloomberg said. He said, people in Colorado are a bunch of hicks. They don't even have paved roads there. And I, and, I, and I wanted to put that clip up and just repeat it over and over. This is how they think of us. I'm not saying the Jews. I'm thinking the elites. This is how they think of us. And, and by the way, Mayor Bloomberg, we have paved roads in Colorado. And we're not all hicks. And um, uh, you know, and it's just it, it's just, it just irritates the hell out of me. And they they have a deep prejudice against us. And uh, and so what I've learned is that when especially the left, when the left says or uses a term, you can bet that they really mean the opposite. So if they call you a racist, what they really mean is they hate your race. Um, if they say that you're using hate speech, what you're really doing is saying it's hate. And, uh, and this goes on and on. And, and, and I think that, that is wisdom to know what the opposite of that. When somebody's telling you something, they're really saying the opposite. And, uh, you know, the, um, uh, let me get back to Sandy Hook here for a second. Um, and Posner, Noah Posner is one of the victims at Sandy Hook. His, Mom, and I'm going to forget her name, but uh, maybe somebody will help us. His mom was reported to be a nurse uh, when the first reports came out. And he had the only open casket funeral at Sandy Hook. Okay, so <clears throat> we now find out that, um, in fact, um, she's not a nurse. She works at the Swiss consulate in New, in New York City. And what does she do uh, at the Swiss consulate? She is passing gun laws for Europe. Everywhere you look, you find that they're all passing, uh, all interested in getting guns illegal. And that is the whole point of Sandy Hook. And uh, Noah Posner's father, Lenny, he will sue anybody who tells the truth about Sandy Hook. Now, those suits have never, you know, they've been dropped, but it's the threat. So I invite you, Lenny, um, to come and sue me. 
I'd really invite you to do it. I will, I will, I will go to court. I will not drop it, and I will prove in that you're a damn liar. And uh, but he won't do it because he knows I'll prove it. And um, and so uh, we're in a very precarious place right now where we are discovering how they're manipulating us in a very deep and profound way, and they know it. You know, there's a movie called The Mothman Prophecies, which is a very good movie. And um, the hero of The Mothman Prophecies can't figure out all the high weirdness that's going on around him. So he goes to an ex. Uh, to find out. And the expert says something, uh, forget his name, there's a really good actor, a British actor, who played Terrence Stamp, I think was his name. He's now dead. Anyway, um, he says, oh, don't you realize you noticed them? And he noticed that you noticed them. And that's kind of where we are right now. We noticed the demons. We've noticed the archons. And they have now seen that we've noticed them. And so what happens next in this game is going to be extremely interesting. Wow, this is a, a, a mouthful. Let me start. Oh, by the way, folks, I usually read a lot before an interview. I watch a DVD, read a book. But in this case, I just wanted to bring Jay and discuss everything that matters, what's on his radar, what's in our radar. And that's why I went to a lot of you around the world who submitted great questions. And here's the first one comes from Bill from Middletown, Ohio. Dear Jay, considering the current world stage in 2014 and moving through 2015, how do you see the events unfolding relative to your research of the cross of end day? I don't expect you to be a prophet, but I'm sure you have an opinion. Thanks. Well, I do. Um, uh, as you guys have noticed, there's been an awful lot of fireballs in the sky lately, uh, more than has ever been in my life. And, uh, in fact, in the first 30 years of my life, I think there was probably more than three fireballs that uh, were seen. But now, happening once every three or four weeks, including the one in, in Russia, which was huge. And... Um, um, so what's going on now is that, well, next year, or is it this year? No, I think it's this year. Uh, Graham Hancock's uh, sequel to Fingerprints of the Gods is coming out. And um, I've got some skinny on it, which is incredibly fascinating. And what, what Hancock is going to describe in this book is that <clears throat> through uh, research, um, mainly uh, looking at nanodiamonds and other things that are all over the world, geologists have concluded that a comet hit the Earth 13,000 years ago. It broke up into four pieces, uh, giant pieces, and then as the pieces started getting nearer and nearer to the Earth, they began breaking up into hundreds of pieces, and the Earth was literally showered with a comet. And this hit 13,000 years ago, caused what we call the Younger Dryas, which geologists say was a 1,600-year-long period where the world was thrown into the worst ice age that we've ever seen. Thousands of species died. Um, even people as far south as Iran were complaining about how cold it was. And even the equator was chilly and cold. And um, almost everything on Earth died. It's not until just recently that we realized two things. One, uh, 
the the civilization that that catastrophe destroyed was much more advanced than we ever dreamed. And two, the catastrophe itself was much worse than we ever dreamed. So for 1,600 years, the world was thrust into this freezing cold, and then the sun exploded into a, a CME, uh, probably an X-class, and uh, immediately, overnight almost, ended the Ice Age. And if you go to the sun panel on the cross of Hende, you see an expanding, exploding, angry sun surrounded by four objects. And whoever built the cross of Hende successfully describes the catastrophe that happened. It's a double catastrophe, just like Falconelli says. And the catastrophe is the four objects that are on the outside of the sun, and then 1,600 years later, the second part of the catastrophe, when the sun blew up and melted all that ice that had been built up for 1,600 years and literally flooded everywhere. And sea levels rose 300 feet. And all of the civilizations that had been built on the coastlines of the world disappeared, never to be found again. And I believe that a remnant survival group of that civilization, that previous seriously advanced civilization, went to the Giza Plateau and built the Giza Pyramids and the Sphinx as a, not as the Sphinx was built as a commemoration of the time of the catastrophe because uh, the Sphinx is pointing towards Leo and the catastrophe happened at the time of Leo. And of course, Leo is a lion and the Sphinx is a lion. And, um, and then they ensconced their incredibly advanced knowledge onto and in the pyramids themselves, which we have since lost when they stripped all the limestone covers off the pyramids uh, in the eight and nine hundreds uh, to build mosques in uh, Cairo. And so we lost all that information, unfortunately. There's still enough information at Giza to draw some certain kinds of conclusions, and so it's still a useful body of uh, monuments. But the hopeful thing about all this, especially the Cross of Hende, is that if the Cross of Hende was built 400 years ago in early 1600s, as we suspect from the erosion on it, then that means that this group that built the pyramids, that has this knowledge, was still around 400 years ago, and they put it into the Cross of Hende. And that, that makes me very hopeful that you know this group might even still be around, and maybe helping us even. And um, so that's my answer. Sure. And I have to say, speaking of uh, our friend Graham Hancock, I was very embarrassed to see Dr. Sahi Hawass a few days ago attack Graham and, and even his wife, the, the way he did in, in Egypt. And Graham and Robert Bouval, I think he attacked him too. Oh, and Graham. Robert Bouval, I would sue him. And Graham, you were a gentleman, so hopefully we can have you back to discuss all, all of this. And, oh, I uh, hope you do, because Graham's a great guy. And he will be doing a book tour, so I bet you do get him. 
Yes, yes. He was with us a few years ago, and we met in person yep. at a conference, and he's a great, great man. Now, he this is. one, uh, we're going to be jumping around. This one, hey, sure. Jay, I heard about the 432 hertz music phenomenon in one of your Veritas interviews a few years back and have worked in this tuning ever since. Awesome. After recording several albums and playing numerous live gigs, I've noticed some pretty interesting stuff with regards to the ability of this tuning to affect the reality around me in a generally positive way. First off, thanks for this. It's been quite a trip thus far. Second, have you done much experimentation with this tuning since you came across it, for example, by using 432 hertz tuning for this scoring or music selection in your film projects? If so, what has been your experience? Cheers, Josh from Canada. P.S. Sorry, that's too long, but the fallout from that interview quite literally changed my perception of reality and my course in life forever. Had to throw some props. And Josh, let me just say, I've listened to some of your music. I'm going to put some on our show. You are a great musician, and I really enjoy the fact that you are making all your albums now 432. What's your take on that, uh, Jay? Uh, well, yeah, of course. I'm uh, completely with the... Uh uh, uh, the, the question and the 432 being a superior form of tuning. Um, and I would love to hear your music, Guy. I really would because I'm really fascinated by all the 432 music that people have been sending me because apparently it's caused quite a stir out there among the musicians who didn't know about it. So uh, kudos to you, Mel, for helping me bring that up. And um, yeah, I think the 432 is really interesting. I have a friend who's a, a wonderful musician and she tuned her piano, if you can believe that to 4-3-2 and uh, she plays classical music so she'll play like Chopin right only it's completely different when it's in 4-3-2 mm-hmm. um, it doesn't even sound like Chopin anymore it sounds like angelic beings speaking to each other almost and um, there's this weird weird thing that happens I don't know if I could say it's in my heart but it's an emotional thing that happens to me when I listen to 432 music. Tears well up in my eyes. I, I feel this immense, um, almost like an ecstatic state happening to myself. And, um, and I, I can't get enough of it. That's why I would love any, anybody who wants to send me your music, uh, please. Uh, I would love to hear it because I'm fascinated by this whole 432 thing. And furthermore, what people don't realize is that 432 is, it was, was the music of this previous civilization. Okay. Mm. They didn't use what we had. And 432, the number is a sacred number. So the sun is 864,000 miles wide, right? That's 864, that's 432 yep. twice. Um, uh, 43,200 years ago, um, we believed that there was a substantial event here on Earth. Graham Hancock believed this, uh, that actually was when this um, civilization actually reached its pinnacle. And um, all of the measurements around the Great Pyramid and uh, uh, even uh, Washington, D.C. and Stonehenge are all based on this weird 432 pattern. And um, as a, a person that you should interview, uh, by the way, uh, is a guy named Randall Carlson. I don't know if you know who that is. But, no. Uh, he is... He is the most one of the most fascinating people around, and he has figured out the language, the mathematical geometric geometrical language of this previous civilization 
and 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 and, and it's mind blowing. And by the time you get done spending an hour or two with Randall Carlson, you're almost convinced that there has to be a God because it's impossible for any of this to have happened accidentally. And um, uh, uh, I'll get you his info if you if you like. And sure. I, you'd be fascinated by by the guy. And uh, so um, all of this is a, an attempt. I believe, by our broken culture, our broken civilization, to try to revive this ancient civilization that was really friggin' cool. And um, and 432 music is at the center of that, because if we can change the music, we can change the culture. And the, the powers that be know this, that's why they are... They own the music business. They're changing the culture through the music they're releasing, and um, their music sucks. And so we need to come up with our own music and go to 432, which they do not want to ever have happen, because it unlocks certain centers in your brain and makes you, I don't know, I can't really, not more intelligent, but more enlightened, I guess. No, there's a logical explanation to all of this, Jay. In this, before World War II, this is the way music was tuned to. But a bunch of powerful forces got together and decided that the international tuning frequency would be for 40. And folks, I'm just going to send this out there right now. There's one book titled The 440 Enigma, written by L.C. Vincent. And he has been very, very elusive in the past few years, but I want to have him on the show. I've, I've heard great things about the book. He said, quote, this unnatural standard tuning frequency, 440 hertz, removed from the symmetry of sacred vibration and overtones has declared war on the subconscious mind of Western man. And, you know, of course, it was Tesla who said, uh, what did he say? If one should desire to know whether a kingdom, oh, whatever, give me one second. Tesla said something interesting here. If you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. And they seem to be removing the, the, the standard in which all of this should be. And when this tuning frequency changed to 440, and people went to church, and they felt that when they went to church and they listened to the organ and the, and the, and the singers, they thought, gosh, I'm getting a, this religious experience. And the reason for that is that the only places in the world that kept 432 were churches. That's right. That's exactly right. And uh, they're still the last bastions. But, yeah, you're right. And that's why you... Uh, uh, and, and it's more um, it's more tuned to the human voice too, by the way. So when you have somebody singing in, in to a four three two tune, oh my God, it's like angels are singing. It's just it's just unbelievable. And I, I I I can't. There are no words to describe what what I feel when 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 I when I go to a concert and hear this kind of music. Well, I can tell you for those who are listening, I always repeat this whenever I mention four thirty two. I have a a link to a piece of software. You can go to our, our our forum. We have a piece of software that you can download for free. I'm not sure if it, they still have it available, but you can actually take all your music collection and just import it into this little software, and you can listen to all of your music collection in 432, and you'll, you'll know exactly what Jay's talking about when you start crying without knowing why. And that doesn't make you weak, by the way, folks. 
No, not at all. It's it's, it's, a, it's a powerful spiritual experience, is what it is. And music is, you know, the closest thing to um, perfection, really. And you know, and what a horrible, horrible thing um, to to do, you know, to ruin the um, the numinous structure of music and turn it into a machine. And that's what they've done. And it's a conspiracy, folks. It's a conspiracy. I don't know why they're doing it, but they're doing it. Well, I, I had a question for later in the show, but two things that cropped to mind. You know that our youth now has an attention span of nine seconds, number one. And number two, if you play any music that's 60s, 70s, even 80s, they tuned out because they don't have auto-tune. They think, oh, this person is not singing that great. And what they're listening to is just a voice sent through a computer to auto-tune it. Is that messing with our youth's mind? Oh, yeah. That, that appears to me is the only reason they're doing it is to mess with the youth's mind. And uh, they invest so much into the music business that, you know, it, it's, it's a major weapon in their arsenal. And I can't, I won't even listen to uh, pop music anymore because it, to me it just seems like manipulation, all of it. And, uh, you know, there's some indie bands I kind of like, like Of Monsters and Men, but anybody that comes out with corporate uh, music, you, you, that is all designed to control you. And um, we got to get, re get away from that music. That music is deadly. And uh, and you can see, you can watch the culture deteriorating as the music gets more ubiquitous. And uh, that's what I see in my life anyway. And I don't know what we're going to do about it, Mel. It's a big problem. Well, let's keep talking about but it. I like this software yes. you've got. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep talking about it. And you know what? Josh Maitland here from Canada. Oh, sorry, Josh. Well, I guess your name, your last name is public anyway, so sorry to disclose it. But, you know, you have these albums. It's a, it's a precursor. And I know there are other bands out there that are doing the same thing. It only It's the 100th Monkey Syndrome. It only takes one more for people to realize, wait a second, why do I feel better? I mean, take Enya, for example. Try to listen to Enya or classical music in 432, and you'll feel so much better. Talk about meditation. But anyway, here's another question. Jay, I've noticed an increase in public awareness as evidenced by usage in the media, etc., of the fact that the moon landing was faked, and specifically references to Stanley Kubrick. I wonder if, you know, if you've noticed the same, and if so, your thoughts on that, what you think the chances are of this becoming mainstream except the truth. Thanks, John from Cabot or Cabot, Arkansas. Let me just add this to, 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 uh, to John here for a second. I responded to him, and I said... Uh, about Interstellar, I, you know, the, the movie Interstellar. I rewatched it again the other day, and I just laugh every time they talk about how they had to rewrite the history of the United States to say that the moon landing was faked in order to bankrupt the Russians. So what's your take on what he said? <laughs> well, you know, as I think, well, I don't think it was the last time we talked, but maybe it was. Um, but we talked on the night of the uh, Batman shootings. That's correct. I remember and I'd gotten an email from someone who had been working on the sound with Nolan on the Batman film about oh, maybe two months before our conversation. And the guy who wrote me the email said that Nolan was really into my Kubrick stuff and that there was a lot of stuff in the Batman film he thought that I would find 
you know, very revealing. And so I was actually going to go that night, actually, and I'm in Colorado, and I wasn't going to go to the Aurora, thank goodness. Not that it really happened. But um, uh, um, so, you know, I was very, very interested to see Interstellar. And, of course, Interstellar is an homage to Stanley Kubrick. Uh, clearly, throughout the entire movie, the whole movie is one long homage to 2001: Space Odyssey, and um, so you know he he even got in the fake moon landing on top of everything else, and uh, so I think that um, Christopher Nolan is in Hollywood. He has to toe the line, but he is clearly someone who's in our camp, is what I'm thinking, and. Um, Interstellar was a very fascinating film, and the ending where McConaughey is in the Tesseract, and time uh, is separated into space, and he can see his daughter growing up, and uh, that was just fascinating. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought Interstellar was a really good film. So, you know, um, there are friends of ours in Hollywood, and um, Christopher Nolan, I think, is one of them. It's going to be very interesting to see, you know, what he's going to do next. I mean, uh, you know, um, so, yeah, I totally think it's, you know, I don't know. These things are all related. Uh, you know, the Joker uh, is part of the bombing uh, in Boston. The Colorado shootings were done by a guy who was dressed up as the Joker. The Joker is the character from Nolan's second Batman film. Uh, there is just so many things that are so unusual about that whole thing. That um, And even during that movie, the, 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 the Dark Knight Rises, during, there's a, a scene with a map that shows Aurora, Sandy Colorado. Hook. Remember Sandy. that? That's Sandy Hook, no, too. Sandy, Sandy Hook. It's, is it Sandy Hook? Okay. Yeah, yeah. The bad guy is at, in Sandy Hook. He points down uh, um, uh, Gordon. Commissioner Gordon points down, mm. says, they're right here, and it says Sandy Hook. And like, really? And then the uh, production designer, the assistant production designer on The Dark Knight Rises was from Newton, Connecticut. He died in a car accident in April 2012. Ha! Huh. Interesting. But I thought when I watched uh, Interstellar that I thought, what? I always, when I watch movies like these, I think, why is Jay Whitener thinking when he's watching this movie? I like to, to deconstruct it with him. And I thought, is he thinking what I'm thinking? Is uh, Nolan channeling Kubrick here? Yep, I think he was, yeah. actually. I think... I think Stanley gets around. That's what I think. I don't think Stanley's left the mortal coil yet. I think he's got some things to say, and he wants people to know about it, and he's he's helping us out a little bit. I really do believe that, by the way. And uh, I think, you know, uh, his spirit is still here with us. And um, and uh, he desperately wants people to understand what he was trying to tell us. And I think, you know, I helped him out a little bit. And I think Nolan is kind of taking it up to the next level. Have you, well, he probably, have you made contact with him at all? No, I would like to, but I haven't. But what's very interesting about your question is that um, this moon thing has spread and gone into mainstream. Uh, one of the most popular rock and roll bands right now is Imagine Dragons. And their first oh, yeah. holy, 
yeah, music video was all about, it was, a, in fact, an homage to my work. And uh, even had Stanley in there directing the moon landings. And um, hilarious video, by the way. And um, so, uh, again, it's getting in there. The leading uh, screenplay in Hollywood right now, they have a, a thing in Hollywood called um, screenplays that are great but haven't been made into a film. And uh, the top one right now is called uh, 1969, A Space Odyssey, which is all about the travails that Stanley went through directing the moon landings. And uh, the woman who wrote the script is from Colorado. I certainly hope that she didn't rip me off too much because I'll have to sue her. She may be glad that that movie hasn't been made. But um, we'll see if it ever does get made. But again, it is getting out in mainstream, and it's quite weird, actually. But even before I came out with my stuff, it was actually in the mainstream already. Uh, uh, there's a movie with Peter Sellers, who was within Stanley Kubrick, two of Stanley Kubrick's movies, uh, called Being There. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. It's kind of a boring movie. But um, in the middle of the movie Being There, uh, Peter Sellers is walking around downtown Manhattan and looking in the store windows and shops, there's this montage going on. And the music on the track is a jazz version of 2001 A Space Odyssey theme uh, by Diodato, a, a jazz artist uh, uh, from uh, Latin America. And um, as the song is, or the jazz piece is reaching its climax with, you know, da, 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 um, Peter Sellers looks through a window uh, in a store, and there is a toy mock-up of Apollo 11. <laughs> Kid ye not. And this came out in, like, 1980. And in the movie Toy Story, again, more references to not just the faked moon landing, but the shining as being about the fake moon landing. So in the movie Toy Story, the first one, Buzz Lightyear, Buzz Aldrin, Buzz Lightyear, yep. is an astronaut, and Buzz Aldrin, Buzz Lightyear, thinks he's this big, great astronaut. And all the other toys are trying to convince him that he's not this great hero astronaut. He's a toy. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm a great astronaut hero. And then one day, he's walking past the TV, which is on, and he sees an ad for Buzz Lightyear, and he realizes that he's a, a, a toy. So he then walks up to a banister, looking over a hallway, and the wallpaper on the banister is exactly the floor, the, the carpet pattern in the crucial scene in The Shining where Danny's playing with his trucks. And this is this is the it's the launch pad, a launch pad 39A uh, in Florida, an exact replica of the launch pad. And Buzz Lightyear looks up through the window at the moon shining on him, and he leaps to fly to the moon, and he falls to the ground and crashes and breaks. Now, that's a crucial scene, and it's a crucial scene not only to the movie and the plot, but it's a very revealing scene, and it means that somebody in Hollywood in the mid-90s knew not only that the moon landings were fake, but that Kubrick was showing us this in The Shining. Now, I did not come up with my interpretation until 2007 of The Shining, so I don't know. I, uh, my view... 
you know, this is not as secret as people think it is. And I think people in Hollywood actually have known for a long time that it's all fraud. And speaking of good bands, Muse, uh, Imagine Dragons with Radioactive, great songs that you have to pay attention to what they're saying. But speaking of the moon, have you seen some of uh, NASA's press releases lately where they're working on spacesuits that are going to help our future astronauts be able to get out of the Van Allen belt? You probably have seen that. And I thought, I wait, a, wait a second, I thought we've done that way back ago. What are they telling us here? Well, you know, what the, they, they've, they've had to backtrack so fast since my uh, stuff came out that it, I'm actually on the floor laughing most of the time watching them backtrack. Now they, uh, the, quote, uh, NASA people are saying that, oh, no, 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 we didn't go through the Van Allen belts. We went around the Van Allen belts. So I did some math. I said, okay. Um, if to go around the Van Allen belts would mean that you would go uh, in orbit first, you would launch and you'd go in orbit around the Earth, and then you would have to go up where the North or South Pole is. You would have to go straight up that way and then point your, get way above the Van Allen belt, which is like a donut shape around the Earth. And the only where you can go to get away from the Van Allen belt is on the poles which may be why Hitler moved a lot of his stuff to Antarctica. Uh, he may have, you know, have, anyway, I'll get into that later. But yeah, anyway, they're now saying that they went around. Well, that's going to add about two days to your trip and a whole lot of miles, and they didn't go long enough. It, it, they, so, you know, not until now have they said that they went around the Van Allen belts. It's really difficult to go around the Van Allen belts. Worse than that, though, they've now discovered, back then they discovered there were two layers to the Van Allen belt, but guess what? They discovered a third layer two years ago. So those poor astronauts not only had to go through two layers of incredible radiation, but now we know they had to go through three. None of the astronauts died of cancer. Um, only two are dead, even. Right now, Neil Armstrong died. I think it was J Jim Lovett died a few years ago. But nobody's died of cancer. They all lived to be old men. Um, so um, either the Van Allen belts are not radioactive or someone is BSing us. And I'm going for the latter. It makes sense to me. Here's yep. another question. Daryl from Louisiana, he asks, I would be interested in hearing more of your insights on Walt Disney as per propaganda, programming, and occult imagery in his early films. Are you still working on a film about Walt Disney? Thank you. Yes, I am working on my Kubrick's Odyssey 3, which will be out soon. It has a huge chapter on Walt Disney. Um, I've got a pretty different take on Walt Disney than all the other conspiracy theorists, and I'm going to present that in Kubrick's Odyssey 3, so I've got to be a little bit careful here, because I'm building up a case that actually Walt Disney was a good guy and that he was manipulated uh, uh, once the rest of the studio heads... Here's what happened. Walt Disney was the only artist in early Hollywood. I mean, that owned a studio. There were other artists. D.W. Griffith, Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford. They were all really good artists. But Walt Disney was the only artist that actually owned a studio. All the other studio heads were just businessmen. And um, every year, the studio heads would all get together, 
And, of course, Walt was the only one there that wasn't a member of the tribe. Uh, everybody else was a member of the tribe. And they used to joke, make jokes with uh, uh, Walt, and they'd say, Hey, Walt, why don't you come out and play golf with us at the golf course? Oh, that's right. They don't let any Gentiles into that golf course. <laughs> Never mind. They'd say things like that to Walt. It just really irritate him. I know one of Walt's really good friends, and uh, I have I have talked to many, many, many people who worked at Disney, and they tell me that he was the nicest guy, the best person to work for that ever. And so what happened is is that Walt Walt was a closet pagan, really. And, you know, he was Irish, and his early films have this kind of Irish paganism, Celtic paganism to them. And it was what he really loved. That was what, you know, the forest and animals and, 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 and fairy tales and all this stuff. And, 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 and so for the first few films, he made them on, on this kind of pagan values that, that were really intrinsic to himself. And I think that, you know, I think that that paganism really kind of terrified the other studio heads. Um, they didn't really understand it. They didn't like it. And they began doing terrible things to Walt. Um, first off, they, um, organ- they, um, they, they uh, organized his animators into a union so Walt couldn't make the films cheap anymore because he was now paying people two or three times what he was paying them before, but he was being paying them very generously before um, this happened. So it was a, it was a, 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 a kind of the animators were confused. They were like, well, well, he's paying us really good right now. Why do we have to ask for more? But they successfully unionized, and that actually destroyed his animation business. At that point, Walt decided to start going live action because the animation was too expensive now, and I'm sure the rest of the studio heads breathed a huge sigh of relief because they didn't want his animation because it made them look bad. His animations were so good uh, that it made them look bad. And, you know, his animations culminated in, in what I consider to be one of the best films ever made, Fantasia. Absolutely. And, yeah. And so I have a different take. And when, I ha- when Kubrick's Odyssey 3 comes out, I'm going to present some pretty shocking information that somehow has flown under the radar all these years. And I'm going to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that Walt Disney was warning us about something very seriously warning us about something, and Stanley Kubrick was trying to warn us about the same thing. Unfortunately, you have to wait till the movie comes out. Of course, and who took over Disney? I'm not going to go there anymore. Everybody uh, knows. You got the, it. You got yeah, it. You know, right? Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's give uh, Jay a break so we can break both segments into two. We'll be right back. And Jake, how can people buy your DVDs, learn more about your products, your websites? Yeah, I have a my my uh, my business site is sacredmysteries.com. My free site with all my crazy writing is jwidener.com. I have a new feature film coming out called The Last Avatar, um, and uh, we can talk about that later. Absolutely, and we have so many many more great questions from our audience. I got to say, you're as good as the listeners that you have, and I'm so proud of you folks who are submitting a lot of great questions. This is Mel Fabregas. I'm delighted to be here with my friend Jay Whitener. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Veritas. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com 
click on members or subscribe or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, detoxified iodine, supplements, a USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders and much more. And now we'll take a short intermission and listen to some music from Willow Smoke. Willow Smoke is the band I discussed during this interview. Josh, one of its members, listened to our last conversation with Jay Whitener about A432 Hertz and embarked on a quest to record an album with his band with all instruments tuned at A432 Hertz. In addition, the album was recorded off the grid using the power of the sun at a remote location in the woods of Ontario. Here's Open Window by Willow Smoke. I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy.
This is Graham Hancock, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. <laughs> 